Good morning, everybody. It's great hearing the worship today. That was touching my heart backstage and singing along with you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning as we continue our Word of Life series, Word of Life, Illuminate All These Lies. It's the title that John gave Jesus. His words, everything he said, his message, what he, what he proclaimed to them, but also his life. They watched it. They saw it. And he witnessed it. And he calls him the word of life. And we've centered this whole series around lights and bright lights and neon lights and things like that because it's one of the main themes that goes through the entire book of 1 John. God being light. It's a, it's a metaphor that's used quite frequently in the entire book. You know, there's a difference when you're in the light and in the dark. Let's say, um, especially like when you're in a city. Have you ever noticed that? How many of you have traveled down to Philadelphia? I, I was going to visit somebody at the hospital. I was a young pastor and they're like, I, I wanted to go down and visit a young kid who was at, at Temple. And um, some of them, people were counseling me, not knowing how nursed I was in uh, uh, maneuvering the city. They said, just stay in the lighted areas down there. That's what they said. It just, it's like, I'm like, okay, like, and, and park in the areas that are lighted. Have you ever seen how lit it is right there by Temple University? Have you ever been down there? It's like daytime, right? Well, if you get like a little overhead of Temple, you can see like it is extremely bright on their campus. They, they light everything up. I mean, just because they love lights, Now, because there's an aspect to light that brings what? Safety, security, assurance when you're operating in darkness. And, and there's people who are in that light, but there's people who are also in the darker areas of not only that city, but in life. And we know something about light, right? It's not just a literal thing, it's metaphorical, right? Somebody were to say to you, I, I feel dark right now. I'm feel, I'm, I feel like I'm in darkness right now. We, we know that they might be sitting under a lamp saying that, but they're speaking more metaphorically. You, you wonder, in our world right now, how many of us, as we are walking in the light prayerfully as Christians, are, are you tempted to condemn the darkness or are you motivated to love those who are in the dark? Well, I, mean, I, don't, I don't love darkness, but I'm motivated to love the dark. Do you see how like we even struggle with the light and dark theme? Because it's more than just literal. It's metaphorical. It's symbolical. There's an aspect to it. And John is going to leverage that illustration. But boy, we know there are so many people in our world that are in darkness. Oh, not just literally, but are living in it. They say things like, I have no one. No one loves me. Have you ever voiced that in your head? It's the cry of the forsaken, the abandoned heart. And see, the darkness for them is an emotional, I, I, I have no one, no one loves me. Maybe you've said that this week and you can't believe I just said it from a stage. Maybe it's more a captive feeling. I have no way out. No one can rescue me. I can't get out of what I'm in. I've prayed about it for years. You have no idea my situation and you feel powerless and vulnerable. Maybe it's more a hopelessness. 
There's nothing that can darken a life like hopelessness. Maybe it's, I have no hope. There is no future for me. Have any of those words come out of your thought life, if not your mouth? You see, people that are living in in darkness, there's an ache inside. No matter how arrogant the comments are on social media, no matter how vicious the statements are in interpersonal relationships, no matter what their personality is like in the workplace, when you have darkness in your life, you're searching for anywhere you can find some kind of light. Oh, and the world offers some light, doesn't it? It offers some light. It's a temporary light, but it does offer some light. And for people who are feeling rejected or captive or hopeless, they go to those lights. And they even often find themselves in the same environments. For darkness sometimes has company. There's a a gentleman, I heard a testimony before he came to know Christ, he had owned a nightclub in the city. And he said it was unbelievable. You could see darkness and light. Metaphor lived out right in front of you in the nightclub. You see, because the nightclub, it would offer a light. In the, middle of the, in the middle of the stage, he said there was so much light. He goes, but what would happen in the corners? It was unbelievable darkness. And he, he said, I couldn't get people out of the corners by just turning the music down at the end of the night. They'd stay in those dark, dark corners. He goes, you know how I had to get them out? I'd have to literally turn all the lights on. And being in the light, the corners would light up and that would ask, get them to get up and they would end up leaving. Scripture says men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And I would ask you, how many of the most frustrating sins have you committed in your life by yourself and in the dark? There's an aspect to it. I've listened to teachers teach subjects um, leading people and guiding people through addictions to pornography and things. And one of the aspects they would say in those moments when you're in the dark, go outside, get out of the temptation, get up and go outside, get out into the light for the darkness, the shadows is where so many things happen that are completely wrong. John, in his book today, wants to deal with this word, this logos going around, a Greek term, an enlightened idea that you can live in the shadows and the darkness and do whatever you want and also be in the light. Yeah, it's great. You can go in the light and be in the light and be enlightened as a human being and you can also do whatever you want in the shadows. And John said, I don't think so. Um, You don't know Jesus. You're not living in the truth because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is our message today, word of life. No darkness at all. 1 John chapter one, five through 10. 
And some of you last week said, man, I didn't know we were gonna get that much out of four verses. Well, we're gonna go to five verses today and we'll see if we can handle it because this might look like a little shallow, tiny book in the back of your Bible, but it's actually got some of the greatest theological depth and hermeneutical challenges you could run across. So I'll continue to try to do my best, but I pray that you find these verses to not be mm, confusing, but to be encouraging. For so many read these verses and get so fearful of their salvation. They hear, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we are lying and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves and the truth is not in us. What? The truth's not in me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And many have read these words, including myself at times and gone, what does that mean for me? How does this work? And I pray today as we read through these verses, we'll shine a light on John's historical background he's dealing with the struggle he was currently trying to address and how we can apply it today as children of God. No longer slaves to fear, but children of God. Heavenly Father, use our text today to draw us to desire to walk even more in the light. We wanna be in the light as you are in the light. And in that light, we'll find safety. We'll find you we'll find purpose, we'll find hope, we'll find freedom, we'll find life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's familiarize ourselves just a little bit on the Gnostic teaching of the day. There's this idea that they had this spotless spirit and the spirit, lowercase s, not Holy Spirit, was the non-matter, okay, the things you can't see. Where the body, ah, that's kind of a filthy flesh. The body was evil, they taught, and the spirit, the spirit was good. And so people are good. They're good people with really bad bodies. And so here's the deal. We are good, okay? And we're good before God, they're teaching. But you know what? Our body's evil. And so since it's already evil anyway, let's just do whatever we want in the body. And so you can see this ethic is playing out throughout the church. And they're going, wait a minute, if Jesus was God and man, he had a body. That means his body would have been evil like ours. And that means he couldn't be God. So he must've been a phantom. I mean, it only makes sense then. And if you're listening to the teachers of the day who claim to be the enlightened people, you might be looking at this from the 21st century going, what, 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 what? no, that doesn't make any sense. But at the time, especially with the chronological snobbery of the day that we even live in today, if it's a new idea sent from a certain source, it must be truer than anything that God would have said. And so the darkness was shining a light, but it was an awkward light. It was almost like be enlightened and live in darkness. And John says, no, 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 no. Someone needs to write into this. You know, this week I was talking to somebody and we were going back and forth on what my sermon was. And I said, you ever realize that in scripture, it says to put on the armor of light? Have you ever heard that phrase, armor of light? I was like, I, I, I hadn't seen it before. I hadn't come across it 
per, per se. Put on the armor of light. What an awesome, awesome thing. He goes, have you ever noticed there's a lamp of the wicked? And I went, oh, that's good. There is a lamp of the wicked. You mean the world does offer some light? Yeah, they, they, scripture calls it the lamp of the wicked. So, so what is that verse? I, I think it's gonna help us interpret this whole passage a little bit better, okay? One, it talks about that there's two lights. There's the light of the righteous and the lamp of the wicked. Here's the light of the righteous. Scripture says this in Proverbs 13, nine. The light of the righteous, what does it do? It shines brightly. Those who know Jesus Christ as their savior, their light shines brightly. I mean, after all, they're the light of the world. But, but then scripture also says in the exact same verse, but the lamp of the wicked, it'll be snuffed out. John wants to deal with a false light that's getting taught in the churches around Ephesus at the time. And when you understand these passages as John talking to that audience and not directly applying yourself every time through these verses, I'm praying that the interpretation of this will, will, will kind of be more understandable for you as we move forward. For John wants to address this because he wants to make sure they're not following the lamp of the wicked because the church is wavering. Well, what should we do? Should we follow this, this great Greek teaching or should we stay with what the apostles taught us? I mean, was Jesus a phantom? And John's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, seen, looked, touched concerning the word of life. I'm an eyewitness. There is nothing stronger than an eyewitness account. And I'm telling you, he was no phantom. I saw him, I touched him. Note the progression of intimacy. We heard him, we just looked at him. It was amazing to watch him. And you don't know Jesus, I know Jesus. And he not only lived it in front of us, he talked about it. And so John starts in verse five, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Where did he hear the message that God is light? Well, it came from Jesus himself. In the gospel of John, he quotes Jesus and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is referring to light in his absolute glory as well as his absolute purity. You see, throughout scripture, light is used like an archetype, okay? Stay with me. We're just gonna jump in seminary for a second. We'll come back out. But an archetype is a symbol in culture that's so universal, everyone kind of can associate with it. If I told you, oh, I feel like I want to um, do a whole marketing campaign on growth, what color would I probably use? green. If I said, I, I feel like winter right now, you'd say, oh, he feels like he's dying, right? Those are archetypes, okay? Artists really lean into archetypes. Well, in scripture, one of those archetypes was light. Light equaled truth. When they said, I am the light, it's truth. And so if you wanted people to follow you, you would offer these fresh lights, 
okay? But Jesus is saying there is only one light. And what's neat about an archetype, if you understand Greek culture, they would use archetypes to symbol the first and the most important and the preeminent, and everything is built off of that one. And so John is having a real good time leveraging this, going, you know what? You understand this in Greek thought. Jesus is the light. He's the archetype. He is the truth. That means in all his intellectual wisdom, as well as his holiness. Not only is he the light in his intellect, which means he's the truth in the intellectual wisdom, but he's also the light and moral. And darkness equals lies. It's intellectual error. It's moral evil. He's building off of this. And he's saying, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Have you ever looked at a light where there was no darkness in it at all? I mean, at all, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? No darkness at all. You see, my father-in-law, when I was first getting to know him, okay, he said, hey, let's go out. He's a big hunter, loves to hunt. He's like, let's go out and use spotlights. I'm not a hunter and he knows that. So he enjoys doing things to me to make me uncomfortable. And, and so um, he's like, let's go out. Now, I, you know, I haven't sealed Rebecca up yet. So I have to do everything the father-in-law says, right? He wasn't quite that, or maybe we had just gotten married. I'm not sure what it was, but I knew I better go. And, and so we went and he goes, here, here, you get the light. And he gives me this, this spot. I'm like, this is great. He goes, now we're gonna be out here. We're gonna look for buck. We're gonna look for deer. It's gonna be great. You know, we're driving along and we're in a neighborhood. And we pull up to a house. He goes, hey, shine that light right in the window. I'm like, what? Just do it. This is my godly father-in-law who loves Jesus. I'm like, all right. So I take the light and I shine it right into the house. And before you know it, a guy comes with fingers. He's going like, come on. And my father's dying laughing. He goes, that's my hunting buddy. I just wanted to light up his house. And so we, had, we, were, just, we were just doing all this and having fun with it. But I'll tell you what, we had a million candle watt bulb, it was called. And, and we were shining this thing. I mean, if you just get, I'm going real quick so I don't burn anybody out. But if you just get a spot of this, let me tell you something. If I look into this thing, which I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna see any darkness at all. None. Now take that illustration and think what Jesus is saying. In my glory, I'm so bright. I'm so glorious, you couldn't even look at me. I am so wonderful in all his glory. I am the light and in him there is no darkness at all. Do you know? Scripture says that in the beginning was the word. And the word was light. It was the light of men. But it also says that the light shined in the darkness and the darkness couldn't overcome it. In other words, there's a dark area of the stage. Look how the dark can't overcome the light. There, there's a dark area of the stage over there. Look how the dark, it just can't overcome the light. The light's too much. It shines and it exposes. It reveals it brings attention to. Jesus says, I am the light. And in me, there is no darkness at all. What are you doing here, John? What's going on? 
Well, well, let's stay with this because he wants that as our, as our, as our encompassment. But if God's the light and there's no darkness in him all, not only is he literally light, but but we talk about his character is light. And so if we look at his character, that means there's none of these things in him. There is no pride. How many of you pray to an arrogant God? My bet is you got that from a Christian who you thought was like God and you applied it to him. Uh, uh, God is rebellious and wants to do, no, 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 there's no rebellion at all. God would li- God lied to me. No, there is no lying in God. There is no darkness. The, the, he's abusive. Nope, nope, that's not true. There is no abusiveness. There is no darkness at all in God. Um, the, the, the complaining God that we don't worship. No, there's no complaint. There's no selfish ambition. There's no partiality. There is no slander. There's no false accusation. There's no immorality or sexual sin. There's no greed. There's no hypocrisy. There is no darkness at all. You pray to a God who has no darkness at all. Anything you apply to him that is sinful is not him. That's the enemy going, he didn't deliver for you, he's a liar. Nope, there's no darkness at all. I want you to say that to yourself as you're praying at night. When you're tempted to apply things that people have done to you who have been professing godly people maybe, and you feel that God is like that too. If you have a rule and demanding father who you have to perform for, you most likely pray to a God the same way. I'm sorry, there's no darkness at all. John says, but I feel like it is. John's not your guy for feelings. He's just not your author. Luke, oh man, he really gets into a lot of feelings. John is, it's this way or that way. But I, I feel that way. You may, but it's not truth. But I just kind of feel like God might be um, abandoning me. You can feel that. It's not true. Oh, he's that grandpa who he appreciates your young feelings, but here's the truth, sweetheart, and he's just giving it out. And so he wants to attack, in my opinion, in the way I see this, I believe these if we say are referring to what these false teachers of the day were saying. Be very careful to apply it to yourself, but if you don't know Christ as your savior, you might say these things and you can apply that but I believe he is attacking the very things they were saying at that time. Know the audience, believers he's preaching to and writing to, and know the circumstance, false teachers lying about Jesus. And so I think he is attacking these teachers when he says this. If we say we have fellowship, koinonia, we have common, we celebrate the same Jesus, we love the same Jesus, we're all in this together. This isn't hanging out. If we say we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. I love how Swindoll breaks this down. He says, I see a claim, a contradiction, and a conclusion. This is lamp of the wicked talk. This is not truth. And he breaks it down this way. Apply the verse, please. If we say we have fellowship with him, claim, while we're walking in darkness? You say you have fellowship with him and you walk in darkness, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. You go, that seems a little harsh. So let me appeal to the Eagles fans here for a minute. 
Let me, let me just change this verse. God forgive me, okay, for this. If we say we're Eagles fans while we're wearing a Cowboys jersey and cheering for them, you're a liar and you're not practicing the truth because nobody who truly had fellowship with other Eagles fans would ever dare do something like that. And I could take the other and make it Cowboys. If you say you're a Cowboys fan and you're wearing an Eagles jersey and celebrating the Eagles and cheering every time they give a touchdown, you're lying. You see how it plays out? Is it sad that I needed a football illustration to make that verse come to life? A little bit, but that is how passionate people are about their sports. If you say it's important to save money, but then spend all your money every day, you're lying. And you're not practicing the truth that you're proclaiming. He's just saying, look, here's the deal. Can't grandpas just sum everything up easy? No, that's not totally true. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it is. You don't practice the truth. Practice is a huge word in this book. It's not like sometimes you do it. It's that is your typical go-to behavior. It's not sometimes you lie and you feel sorry and you ask for forgiveness. This is you lie, you like lying, and you don't feel bad about lying. It is a practice. It is a walk. And he's saying this lamp of the wicked is out there preaching this. They say, we have fellowship with God, but they're living in darkness. They're lying. James 1.22. James is the defender of you don't get faith by works. That's not how you get it. However, some works will demonstrate whether faith has occurred. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Then you're just lying to yourself. If you say you know Christ as your savior and you don't walk or pursue or desire the light at all, You're lying to yourself. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. See, this is is really interesting. He wants to reply. And so there's a reply, a result, and a reality. Are you watching? There's a, there's a construction that I'm trying to do for you in this passage so we see it come to life even more. There's a claim, a contradiction, and a conclusion. So there's a reply, a result, and a reality. Put it in there for me. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We all love being in the light. And on top of that, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. At the moment of salvation... We receive Jesus Christ as our savior. We've been forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And when you're walking in the light, you're living in that reality of his cleansing at conversion. But there's continual defilement along the way as we live in these fleshly bodies. We still will make mistakes that we need to come to him and get right with him. And he can do that. Oh, those disciples walked in. Their bodies might not might have been washed, but their feet got dirty all the time and needed that cleansing. If we walk in the light. Now, this is interesting. Because here Jesus isn't the light. It's kind of the sphere. It's kind of the sphere of God's light. It's like light was a a certain place. It was kind of like just this area where you're in the darkness and then you're in the light. 
And, and when I'm in the light, I'm, I'm in that. Now, now the idea of walking in it is as if, if the light is guiding me through the God's word to move, if the light moves, that I should stay in that light, right? That, that I should move with it as it flows. And if I see God on the move, I wanna stay in the light as he is in the light. It's the sphere. And I don't wanna be outside of it. I wanna get into it. Oh, but men love darkness. And they try to stay out of the light. Paul's saying, no, no, walk in the light. If we're walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. And there's a second claim of three. He says this, if we say we have no sin, we lie to ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you're out there saying you have no sin, We don't sin, we have evil bodies. Well, what is it when you sin? Well, we're just humans. I mean, it's not our fault. We have evil bodies. We're good people and our our bodies do evil. John's going, wait a minute. Let's break this down. If we say we have no sin, that's a contradiction. We know we have sin. And if you think you don't have sin, then clearly the truth is not in you. Guys, if we walk around with these wicked lamps, and we start thinking like them, we'll know that the truth isn't in us. Why? Because the truth says this about sin. The truth says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not some. And so if you think you haven't sinned, you're falling in line with these false teachers of the day, and that's not what the scripture says. So you can feel that and you can think that, but clearly the truth is not in you. Oh, but instead, and maybe you've already had this verse memorized, he turns and says, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at the reply. If we confess our sin, look at the result. He is faithful and just. Do you love that term? He is faithful to what? His promise. And he's just Why? Because he can forgive it because he's the one who shed his blood that cleanses you from all sin. Do you see how the verses now are working together? Because he did that on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Jesus died and shed his blood. Why? So that those who believe in him, he can justly forgive them because they've been given the righteousness of Christ. They've been put in the light at the moment of salvation. He's faithful and just. Now, now you might say, now wait a minute. If God forgave me at the moment of salvation, why do I need to keep asking for forgiveness? I often refer to it this way. We have to understand the difference sometimes between positional forgiveness and relational forgiveness. This verse is in the the bed, if you will, of lettuce bed, it's smashed in the bed of having fellowship, okay? And what happens when we sin is we often break fellowship. Notice that Judas got up and left the table. Go do what you gotta do. When we sin, we break fellowship. At the moment of salvation, I am positionally saved. It's a once and for all, and no one can snatch me out of my father's hand. It is my 
basis of the assurance of my salvation. I am positionally forgiven. I ask for forgiveness because of the relational damage that occurs when I sin. It happens in those moments when I make mistakes or I intentionally sin. Aren't we good at giving ourselves a little pass? Most of us, we don't fall into sin. We walk in with our eyes wide open. In those moments, that's breaking a fellowship. Jesus even says, husbands, if we're not confessing our sin, it can hinder our prayers. I mean, there's a, there's a reality to it. And it's the basis of our fellowship. I, I, I explain it sometimes like this. When you have young children and they get into sports, they get their first jerseys and stuff. It's a lot of fun. And on the back of their jersey, it says, Heller and our family. Why? Because that is who they are. They're a child of Hellers, okay? They're Hellers. Now, in that same jersey, one of those little children can do something to offend their dad, to go against what dad says, and it can hurt our fellowship. They never stop positionally being a Heller. They're still a Heller, but there's a fellowship damage. And when they come and say, I'm sorry, dad, it doesn't make them a Heller again, and when they did the wrong thing, it didn't make them stop being a heller. But when they say they're sorry, there is relational healing. I'm forgiven. And if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just. One of the things I do in my prayer life is I say, Lord, I'm confessing this sin to you. I know I'm forgiven. I just want to get right with you again. I get a little bit away even from the, please forgive me. I know I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. There is no condemnation and no shame will be allowed to shame me today for there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I made a mistake, Lord. The Holy Spirit's been knocking on my door. I confess it to you. Thank you that I'm forgiven. I wanna move forward in the victory you've given me at the cross of Christ. It is very different than the defeating prayer of God, I know you probably hate me for that. What? God sometimes loves his kids and then hates his kids? Yeah, right? No, there's no darkness in him. Actually, there's no darkness at all. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, there's been people who've been saying things for a long time. And here's the third thing they said. If we say we have not sinned, oh, now they're saying we don't even sin. And now on top of that, we've never sinned. Oh my goodness. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you say I've never sinned, you are telling God you are a liar. John, that seems a little intense. That's his point. Let's break it down. If we say that's your claim, you have not sinned, you're contradicting him, you make him a liar, and clearly his word is not in you. What? Yeah, for Romans 3.10 says this, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. It's the doctrine of total depravity. It's not super popular in our day and age, but it's what Romans teaches, that we're all born sinners. 
because one man sinned and passed it down. All have sinned, there's none righteous. And so when you hear phrases and the ethic plays out, how could God do that to good people? You gotta go, what? Uh, can I raise my hand for a second? What? There's no good people. Well, he seems like a really nice guy. Oh, absolutely, 100%, one of the nicest guys I've ever met but there's no good people. And see, if you've got good people in your head, that there is good people, you tend to think that you stand in judgment of God when things happen to good people. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All will spend eternity in separation from God if he does not provide a savior. That's what a good God does. Despite man's sin, he offers them hope in the darkness. And John's going, this lamp that they're shining offers no hope. Oh, you can go and you can revel in it for a day, but you're still in the darkness. And so he breaks their claims down. And this is what we saw. If we say we have fellowship, but we're walking, we're practicing darkness. If you say you're in the light, but are never living in it, Never, not, not, I'm in the light and oh, I made a mistake. I confess my sin. You're never in it. You never desire it. If you say you're a Christian and you never wanna read the word of God, you don't wanna do what God says, you find him unbelievably exhausting. You really have no desire nor guilty conscience at all when you sin. You're, you're, you're probably not in the light. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Look, I, I don't have sin. See, people don't walk around saying they don't have sin, but they do say things like, well, what, is it, what do you do when you lie? Well, I mean, you know, I just, it, I'm, I'm human. Well, it's sin. It's, it's missing the mark. Oh, you Christians with your sin terms. It's exhausting. Well, no, it's just what scripture says and well, who cares what scripture says? Well, then you're probably not in the light if you feel that way. Because John says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. You're lying to yourself because the reality is, John says, the reality is you know, you know that's not true. You have an idea. If we say we have not sinned, this is what the false teachers were saying. This is the lamp that they were shining but it's gonna get snuffed out. It's not gonna last. We make him a liar. See, if we're walking in darkness, we're walking in things like pride and rebellion and lies and abusiveness and complaining, partiality, slander, false accusations. Walk into the light, open the window, let the door in because in the light, there's a God who loves you and in him, there's no darkness at all. And walking in the light is a wonderful thing. Yes, the Holy Spirit says, look, that's some darkness, confess that. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior and you get in the light and you want to stay walking in the light, well, what are some of the things that light does? Well, it's not pride, it's humility. It's not rebellion, it's obedience. It's honesty, compassion, gratitude, selflessness, impartiality, encouragement, rejoicing, purity, generosity, authenticity. And although it's difficult in our fallen world to walk in the light, when we're in this light, you're not gonna have to fear 
being humble because God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. This light you're walking in, it kind of serves as protection. It's a security blanket from all the terrible things that can happen in the darkness. Because the darkness, the world shines a little lamp and says it's attractive, but the reality is there's no hope in it. There's nothing satisfying in it. You can try it. A substance might dull the pain, but it's nothing like the security and the light. Oh, Romans 13, 12 is the verse. It says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Walk in things like humility and compassion and gratitude and selflessness. And it's kind of like John knows they're going, okay, am I like Am I like these false teachers? Am I saying that I'm in the light when I'm actually in the darkness? And in his most calming, comforting words he can possibly say to his audience, who knows they might be a little concerned of whether they're saved or not. Is it possible that I'm actually not saved? He says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John's not saying people in the light never sin. In fact, he says if anyone does sin, You know you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous? Not only are you in the light, you have an advocate standing beside you going, you're in the light, he's in the light, and nobody can snatch him from me. He is the propitiation. Now there's a big theological word, means the payment, okay, for sin that took the wrath of God on sin. The wrath of God you see in the Old Testament on sin. He still hates sin. What's the difference? Jesus came and took the wrath. It was like all the fury of God against sin that we saw in the Old Testament. Jesus said, hit me. And oh, did God hit him. Bang, all that wrath. And so, because he took the wrath of God, anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their savior and makes a choice to be in the light, has his righteousness, and it cleanses you from your sin so that you can enter heaven as child of God, dearly loved, fully accepted, and with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, despite the fact we sometimes get into the shadows. Stay in the light so that you might live out the armor that that light is. I told you throughout this series, we'll grab a few things from this gospel that are assurances of our salvation because John keeps giving them out. Some authors have written a ton of them. You know, I went through myself. I was trying to build my own list and I was looking at some other people's lists. I like those lists, but you always like to try to add your own because I wanted it in my cell phone when somebody asked me, I just don't know if I'm saved. I'm gonna pull some of these out. Here's four already. And I got 21 that I've put together from just reading this book. Here's four ways you can know you're saved. One, children of God walk in the light. They want to walk in the light. They desire to walk in the light. I want to live a life for God. It's one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but you desire it. I want to walk in the light. As I'm preaching, you might be going, Lord, I I came in here, I've got some things that I've been struggling with and I wanna confess them to you because I just wanna keep walking in the light. Children of God desire that. If you're not a child of God, you don't desire that. It's more of an eye roll. 
It's more of a, what are we even talking about? A child of God goes, I want to walk in the light. If you have that desire, that's a great sign that you are a child of God. The second is children of God have fellowship with other Christians. They desire to be around other Christians. You go, what if I hate people? Okay, that's another sermon. (laughs) But when you're in a room of believers, I always tell people who say they hate people, I said, you do know you are a people. Just a little reminder. Everywhere you go, there you are. So maybe you're the problem. Or you're just exhausted. Give yourself some grace. But children of God enjoy being around other children of God. It's a joy. Hey, did you see this Bible passage? Yeah, I love it, Tell. Oh, I, I, I just love singing together with people. I, I love looking at scripture. I love being around the family of God. That's a great indicator. And maybe not one of these will be the, well, that's my shirt, but they tally up. You will also notice there's some that don't wanna be around Christians at all. And that also should give you a little bit of a red flag. Are there times in our life? Well, stay with us through the series. There are times in our life we would go through discouragement and lies are winning more than truth. But there's no desire to be around believers. It's a red flag. Not necessarily an indicator all the time, but it's definitely a red flag. Children of God admit they've sinned. Children of God agree with God when they see sin, that that's wrong. If you read the scriptures and you go, I don't know, I don't really see that as a problem. I think that's a little archaic thinking. That's a red flag. That's a red flag. Children of God confess their sin. I had this little girl. Mom came up to me a couple years ago. She said, she's just struggling with whether she knows Jesus Christ or her Savior. I said, sweetheart, you feel like when you sin, you feel sad? I said, do you ask Jesus to forgive you all the time? I said, sweetheart, you're saved. I am. Something coming out of my mouth that made it better. But parents, don't we all know this? If we don't say it and someone else does to our children, they listen. It's just a common, no, everybody knows this. You know Jesus Christ, your Savior. Did you ask him to be your Savior? Mm-hmm. Well, he doesn't ask you to be perfect. Confess your sin and keep living in Christ. You're a child of God. You remind yourself every time you pray. In fact, child of God, if you know you're saved, but you just keep struggling with worry is actually the problem, then go all your prayers. Jesus, it's one of your children of God calling on your name. Just give yourself the reminder every time you talk to him. Jesus, it's one of your children of God. I just wanna talk to you for a minute. He's the word of life. He's the light shining into the darkness. You know, one of the things I love about a candle is it illustrates what Jesus has done for this world so so effectively. See if I can get it to light. You ever notice with these candles? If I can keep it on. No matter if I... I turn it, it it will go vertical, won't it? See that? It always points up. I love that. Now, there's a whole science behind it. I understand that. But I love the symbolism of it, that it's always pointing towards where my hope is. Because if your hope is horizontal in things like governments and elections, you're gonna have a real hard time in life. 
If your hope is horizontal and depends on people and what others are doing, you're gonna have a really hard time in life. But if your hope is focused, focused vertically, that light will shine in any darkness and keep you focused on the word of life. Did you know scripture says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, but it continues, it says, in him was life, and he was the light of men. The word of life is the light, and it shines in the darkness. You know, my candle's not that impressive, but if the lights begin to dim in here, if the lights begin to go down, it gets more impressive, doesn't it? Look at that. Just gets more impressive. And look where all your eyes are getting drawn to. Because as the lights are dimming, the light keeps shining. See, the light shined in the darkness. And the darkness could not, church, it could not overcome it. That's our Jesus. He's the light. He's the word of life. And this candle keeps shining. And so if we say, if we say, I have no one who loves me. The light says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever, but no one, no, no, no. Whoever follows me will, walk in, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not only get the light, but they'll have the light of life. If we say, if we say, I have no way out, no one can rescue me, I'm captive. Oh, no, 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 no. No, the truth is not in you then. Listen, listen. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness is trying to overcome it, but this light just stays on. And the darker this world gets, the brighter this light just keeps shining. If we say, if we say, I have no hope, there's no future for me. No, 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 no. The gospel of John says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. No one who believes in me should stay in darkness. They'll be able to walk in the light even though darkness is all around them. You see, sometimes the light isn't so impressive until the darkness gets worse. But church, did you know that Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Oh, maybe the city is dark, but when a light gets shined in it, when a child of God shines their light in it, It cannot be hidden. It's as if the child of God is like the streets around that city in the beginning of our sermon. A light got shown into the streets of Harlem. A self-made millionaire wanting to make a difference with his money was asked to go speak to a sixth grade class in Harlem. And he was told that this sixth grade class he'd be speaking to, basically none of them will graduate. Many of them will be killed on the streets. And so they do not have college plans. So think of ways to inspire them if you could. But the reality is, there is no hope for them. They're a captive of their circumstance. And they feel like no one loves them. And into that sixth grade class he walked, and he threw out his notes and he said, class, I will help every single one of you if you go to college. 
I will support your college bill. Of that sixth grade class, 90% of them graduated. Why? Because light shines some hope into that room. And so, child of God, you might be surrounded by darkness, but what if Jesus put you in that class, young child, to shine a light, not to complain about the dark? What if he put you in that retirement home, senior saint, not to complain about the state of the world, but to shine a light? What if he put you into that workplace, not to make a paycheck, but to shine a light to that person next to you? You see, the darkness wants us to hide a light. The darkness wants us to walk in darkness, complain and judge and yell and scream. But Jesus says there's actually no security there. You think that's secure, but things haven't changed. When you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you'll have the armor of light. Oh, and you'll have the light of life. Let's live in the word of life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. We can't even begin to understand the depths of the knowledge that John had of you. But he seems to have had an incredible understanding, not only of who you are, but what you've done and what you want to continue to do. As children of God, we are in the light May we walk in it. Not just positionally know that we're in the light. May we relationally walk with Jesus, our word of life. For he's not dead, he's alive. And we too can see him and hear him through the scriptures. We know what he desires. And we know when we live in the light, there's an armor to that, that the darkness cannot overcome. However, Lord, if there's anyone in here today who is in darkness, I pray that they wouldn't believe the lamp of the wicked, for it will be snuffed out. I pray instead they would call upon the name of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Is there someone in here today who is a little tired of the lies of darkness and wants to come into the light where there is a savior, there is a father, there is a friend, and in him there is no darkness at all. May we not only walk in the assurance that we are truly children of God, may we walk in the light to keep armor on us in a very dark world. We'll pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.